This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And this was the astounding fact that if anyone had ears to hear and was listening, would walk away saying to themselves, Luke 5.21, Luke 5.21, who is this? Who is this? Matthew 21.10, Matthew 21.10, when he was coming to Jerusalem, all the city was moved saying, who is this? That's the question. Who is this? Acts 9.5, Acts 9.5, Paul said, and he said, who art thou, Lord? Jesus is the most misunderstood person in the world. That's why he asked his disciples in Matthew 16, 13, Matthew 16, 13, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples saying, whom do men say that I the son of man am? And they said, some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, others Jeremiah, one of the prophets, utter confusion. And he saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? Jesus Christ, is only known for who he really is if he is known as Jehovah, the Lord God Almighty. Any impression of Jesus that falls short of Jesus as Jehovah is a Jesus that doesn't exist, is a Jesus that is a person, is a Jesus whom they've come to believe is in deception, to imagine Jesus is Jehovah, and as such, Jesus is to be worshiped as God because he is God. Jesus is to be obeyed as God, because he's God. Jesus is to be prayed to as God, because he's God. Jesus is to be sung to, as you would sing to God, because he's God. Jesus is to be seen as God the creator, because he is God the creator. And this was the shock that resonated there when he said in verse 34, behold, I send unto you prophets. Now, Jesus is God, looks solemnly down the tunnel of time at this point, and he sees a terrible day. He sees a day, he sees a time, he sees a place, and there in that place, 
he sees the scribes, these same scribes and Pharisees, they don't know, but he sees a Pilate who did not want to crucify Jesus, and he sees these same scribes and Pharisees leading the Jewish people in deception to defy Pilate and to cry out for him to be crucified in Luke 23, 20, Luke 23, 20. Pilate therefore willing to release Jesus spake again to them, but they cried saying, crucify him, crucify him. And then there was an obstacle. The obstacle was that Pilate had said, I'm not gonna be responsible for the blood of this man. But in order to remove that last obstacle which stood in the way of the crucifixion of Jesus, he sees those same scribes and Pharisees lead the people of that generation to take unto themselves and to their children the responsibility and the guilt for the blood of Jesus in Matthew 27, 24, Matthew 27, 24. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that a rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person, see ye to it. Then answered all the people and said, his blood be on us and on our children. And because of that statement, Judge Jesus now pronounces, verse 35, verse 35, upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, son of Berechias, whom he slew between the temple and the altar. And verse 36, verse 36, verily say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation. That was a horrible pronouncement, horrible pronouncement when he said that. And what caused him to make that horrible pronouncement? Because he saw in a glance. He stood there in a glance when he looked over the multitude being led by the scribes and Pharisees. It was what he saw in this glance. His glance took in the whole population there of the Jewish people. He saw the rich, he saw the poor, he saw the learned, he saw the ignorant, he saw the officer, he saw the servant, he saw the religious, he saw the secular, he saw the deceived, and he saw the deceiver. He saw it all in the whole population of the Jewish people who represented all of mankind. And he saw them in a single glance. And in this glance, he took in the whole population of the Jewish people. His glance took in all time of all mankind, all mankind in his glance, he saw back to Abel as he was being murdered by Cain. And that murder was so vivid to him as he stood there that he could hear the deafening scream of Abel's blood from the ground that, that he told Cain that he heard in Genesis 4.10, Genesis 4.10, when he said, what hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the grave. The Hebrew word for crieth there is the word sa'ak, and it means shriek. It's a shriek. He heard the voice of Abel's blood shrieking again in his ears as he stood there. And in his, his glance there, he saw thousands of years of time. Later back to Zechariah being murdered at the altar. His glance took in all of that, of mankind. And in his glance, he also saw all the offers of mercy that he had made to mankind. In his glance, he saw all the refusals of mankind to his offers of mercy. He, he saw all the rejections, and that drove his heart to be filled with seeing himself 
as offering to man mercy to man and man refusing and rejecting and denying again and again. And those are the words that kept bouncing back in his mind. It was the again and again, again and again, he wanted to gather his little flock together to protect them. Again and again, he wanted to make, he wanted, he wanted to make that, he wanted them to come to that vital decision to repent of their sins and come to him for life. Again and again, he wanted to save them from their enemies. Again and again, he wanted to feed them with what he called the finest of wheat and honey out of the rock. And again and again, he wanted them to think of what they will do when they die and have to stand before him in judgment, as he said in Deuteronomy 32, 29, Deuteronomy 32, 29. Oh, that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would consider their latter end. Again and again, he extended his hands of reception and mercy to them. And as he stood there, at this time, he's filled with these thoughts of again and again. He tried to change their hearts. He remembers how he yearned for them to change, as he told Moses in Deuteronomy 5.29, Deuteronomy 5.29, oh, that there was such a heart in them that they would fear me, keep all my commandments always, that they might be well with them and with their children forever. And for anyone who ends in hell, or anyone sadly ends in hell, the most agonizing thoughts in hell, which by the way is a place of perfect memory, no Alzheimer's in hell, no dementia in hell, perfect recollection, and the most horrible memories in hell are the memories of the again and again when God reached out in mercy with an offer to save. Memories of again and again when Christians tried to witness that Christ receives sinners. Memories of again and again, the rejections, the refusals, the denials, again and again. And so he's standing there and he's thinking of this again and again and he thinks of what he said to them in John 5.40, John 5.40 you will not come to me that you might have life. And now the words, not come to me, are resonating in his heart. He thought of the short summary of what happened when he came to the Jewish people in John 1.11, John 1.11. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. And now the words, received him not, are resonating in his heart. He thought of the choice of love that was made by people, where they would put their love in John 3.19, John 3.19. Light is come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light. And now the words love darkness are resonating in his heart. He thought with his heart breaking of the response of the Jewish people to his call to them, to his great plans that he had for them, in Psalm 81, Psalm 81, 11 and verse 16, Psalm 81, 11 and verse 16, but my people would not hearken to my voice and Israel would none of me. He should have fed them also with the finest of the wheat and with honey out of the rock should I have satisfied thee. And now the words not hearken and none of me are resonating in his heart. He thought of how he was viewed by the Jewish people in Isaiah 49, 7, Isaiah 49, 7. 
the Holy One, in him whom man despiseth, in him whom the nation abhorreth. And now the words despiseth and abhorreth are resonating in his mind. He thought of how there were times when no one welcomed him when he came, and those times when no one responded to his call. In Isaiah 50, verse two, Isaiah 50, verse two, when I came, was there no man? When I called, was there none to answer? Behold, at my rebuke, I dry up the sea. And now the words came and no man, called and none answered, are resonating inside of him. And he thought about how he was viewed, how he was viewed when he was doing the greatest work of redemption, of atonement, in Isaiah 53.3, Isaiah 53.3, he is despised and rejected of men. And those are the words that are inside of him now, despised and rejected. And with all these words resonating in his heart, he can't stand it any longer. And so he gives this, this great cry, oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, in verse 37. And now it's all these thoughts in his mind that his glance now turns to Jerusalem and he sees Jerusalem as a group of chickens, chickens, silly chickens, vulnerable chickens, just running around without any idea of the dangers that are in front of them, without any idea that they're being eyed by the foxes as they go about playing and the foxes are planning their destruction or they eat them. And he sees Jerusalem as just a group of silly, playful chicks just running around and in great danger of being devoured. And then he sees himself as a hen fretting over those vulnerable chickens. He cares for the Jewish people. In spite of all they've done to him, he's not cast them off. He hasn't forgotten the Jewish people. Because of what the Jewish people have suffered, they have concluded that as Jehovah, he's forgotten them. He must have forgotten us in the gas chambers of Auschwitz. He must have forgotten us, but he said, in Isaiah 49, 14, Isaiah 49, 14, Zion said, the Lord hath forsaken me, my God hath forgotten me. Can a woman forget her sucking child that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, yet will I not forget thee. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands, he says. Thy walls are continually before me. He is Jehovah has said that he has carved the names of the Jewish people on the palms of his hands. He said in Isaiah 44, 21, Isaiah 44, 21, O Jacob in Israel, thou art my servant. I have formed thee. Thou art my servant, O Israel. Thou shalt not be forgotten of me. I blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions and as a cloud thy sins. Return unto me, for I have redeemed thee. A total pardon. He's saying, it's waiting for the Jewish people. A complete redemption is there for the Jewish people. All they have to do is come to Jesus as Jehovah and not leave that offer of forgiveness and redemption on the table because they can't stand to say the words to Jesus that Thomas said in John 20, 28, John 20, 28. Thomas answered and said unto him, my Lord and my God. All they gotta do is turn to him, turn to Jesus, and say, my Lord and my God, and they take off the table that full pardon, that full redemption. And so now he sees himself as the hen with wings stretched out wide as she can, and the hen's waiting for the chicks to run under for, for protection. 
The hand can only stand there with her wings stretched out. And the tragic words are, in verse 37, verse 37, you would not. The hen cannot control the chickens. The hen can simply make the offer. And he says, says in verse 37, you would not. The hen stands with the wings stretched out. No chickens have run under her wings. And the thunder of God's wrath rolls. What never should have happened, happens in Matthew 11, 8-11, Matthew 8-11, Matthew 8-11, I say unto you, many shall come from the east and the west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It never should have happened. The fact that he loves the Jewish people so much, and yet this verse in Matthew 8-12, where the Jewish people are being cast into hell, how is that possible? How can it be that the people he loves so much and will never forget, and that he's carved them on the palms of his hands, that he has died to forgive their sins, that he's shed their blood, his blood to redeem them, how is it possible that those same people can be cast into hell for all eternity? What are we to think? How are we to reconcile that? What can we see from God loving them and God still casting them into hell forever? What does it mean? It shows us that the Lord Jesus greatly values the free will that he's given to each individual. He wants a person to do the first and most important commandment, which is Deuteronomy 6.5, after the Shema. Deuteronomy 6.5, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. The first and greatest commandment is love. God, love, love is a decision. No husband can force a wife to love him. The love of a wife must come from the free will of the wife where she says, I have decided to love my husband. No wife can force a husband to love her. The love of a husband must come from the free will of the husband where he says, I have decided to love my wife. Love is a free will decision. Love is free, love is spontaneous, forced love is no love. Obedience from love is free and spontaneous. Forced obedience is no obedience, and so it is with God. He was not forced to love the Jewish people. In love, God calls us. In love, God invites us. In love, God warns us. In love, God threatens us. And in love, God chastens us. And what we do is we respond to God's love by loving God. 1 John 4, 19, 1 John 4, 19. We love him because he first loved us. It's God's love that starts a fire inside of us. It's God's love that kindles a fire of love in our otherwise unloving hearts. Love for us was the reason why Christ came to earth. John 3.16 is a verse about love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Love for us was the reason that Christ became a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Love for us was the reason why Christ was made the sin offering 
of 2 Corinthians 5.21, 2 Corinthians 5.21, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God. Love for us was the reason for the elegant sacrifice on the cross. It was all because of love for us. And then after he did all that because of love for us, he majestically stands back and leaves us alone with our own free will to make our decision. The free will of man is sacred. It must not be forced in order for man's love to God, of God to not be annihilated. That's why Calvinism is a violation of the sacred free will of man. God chose to love the Jewish people. It was 100% God's decision using his free will when he said about the Jewish people in Deuteronomy 7.7, Deuteronomy 7.7, the Lord did not set his love upon you nor choose you because you were more in number than any people, you were fewest of all people. That is such a beautiful phrase that God used there in Deuteronomy 7.7 when he said he set his love upon them. The phrase set his love upon him, it brings out a picture of God holding his love and then deciding who he will set it on who he will choose to set his love on. And that's the same phrase that God uses to describe the person who loves God and who he's gonna therefore deliver in Psalm 91, 14, Psalm 91, 14. Because he had set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. This is God speaking. Because a person has set his love upon God, therefore will I deliver him. I'll set him on high because he had known my name he shall call upon me and I'll answer him. I'll be with him in trouble. I'll deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. The picture of us holding our love like a treasure in our hands and we make the decision of let's say, who will I set my love on? Oh, I know, I'll set my love on God or I'll set my love on something else. This is how God draws people to himself. He draws people to himself with love. Hosea 11.4, Hosea 11.4, I drew them with cords of a man, with bands of love, and I was to them, they that take off the yoke on their jaws, and I laid meat unto them. God draws people, God drew us to himself with what he calls bands of love laying out so much love in front of a person that he decides, the person decides to place his love on God. That's how it works. That's how it works with God. God does not force anyone to come to him. God uses love to draw a person to himself, but in the end, it's the person's own free will where he decides to place his love on God or he decides not to. And that's how it's possible for God to love and love and love the Jewish people and still cast the Jewish people into hell when they have used their free will to decide not to love God. And so what the summer blitzers are doing this summer is they're telling the Jewish people essentially how much God loves them to die on a cross for their sins. And then the summer blitzers are honoring that sacred free will in each individual that God has given to each person like they wrote this week you know, see in the report about Richie in Brooklyn, quote, Antonio had a great extended conversation with his prospect, Richie. Richie is extremely close to getting saved, but isn't quite ready to take the step yet. The team is praying hard for him. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.